Welcome to the Grace City Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to hello at gracecityeugene.com. Here's the podcast. Morning, Grace City family. Pastor Chris here. It's great to be with you again this weekend for our online service. And today we get to continue with week two in our Make Room sermon series, which is a part of our broader sermon series, taking a look at the Gospel of Mark. Now today, this is, I mean, as I've been studying for this stuff and reading through uh, this word over and over again, it amazes me the depth that can be in such few verses. And today is an example of one of those. As we move forward today in the Gospel of Mark, we will see two very distinct things happen. It only takes five verses in Mark's Gospel for those things to play out, which when we read it, it can lead us to believe that these things are less important than they are. However, even though Mark devotes five verses uh, to these two very important events, the Bible has a lot more to say about them. So today we're going to dive into what that is. We're going to look at what it points to in other places in the scripture. And most importantly, we're going to see what it means for us as we pursue Jesus and a lifestyle that would bring glory to him. I hope you're ready for this. You guys, this is good stuff. Um, It's been really encouraging to my soul, and I pray that the Lord would communicate through me to you today to do the same thing. It's packed full, and I believe that this message can change your life if you will receive it. So we're going to start by reading in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. I'm reading out of the NIV. Uh, Whatever version you're reading, great. Um, But that might explain any word differences you may experience while we read together. Again, Mark chapter 1, starting with verse 9. It says, At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended to him. And angels attended to him. Praise God for his word this morning as we look into it. So like I said, we have two very distinct events that happen here that are highlighted in these five verses. In the first three verses, we see the baptism of Jesus Christ by John the Baptist, who we took a look at last week. And then immediately this voice from heaven comes into the picture. And we'll talk more about that in a couple minutes. And then after that, immediately we see the Spirit send Jesus out into the wilderness where he was tempted or tested by Satan. And for some reason, in a two-verse highlight of Jesus' tempting in the wilderness, Mark made sure to let us know that he was with the wild animals and that angels attended to him. And so we're going to take a look at why that also might be in there. Because when we see things like this that that seem random in such a a brief uh, discussion or um, narrative or account of something, maybe there's something to that. So again, we'll come back to that. So let's, let's try to wrap our minds around what we know 
so far, what we know so far in the first 13 verses, the first 13 verses, John the Baptist comes and is this Elijah figure proclaiming the good news that the Messiah is coming. And the way to prepare for his coming is to repent, confess of our sins, admit that we do wrong, we do things that take us away from God, and then to be water baptized. And we talked about that last week. He says the time is now to turn from what takes us away from God and to turn back to God. And for those who were confused, if John was the hero of this story that would have been receiving his message, he is quick to inform them that he cannot even untie the sandals of the one that is to come. In fact, the Messiah will baptize in the Holy Spirit, whereas John baptizes in water for the forgiveness of sins. And then, all of a sudden, in verse 9, we see John baptizing Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, God here on earth, in the Jordan River. And then as he comes up out of the water, the heaven was torn apart and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. Not the Spirit being a literal dove, but like a dove, it says, the Spirit descended upon him. And then a voice came from heaven and said, You are my son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Now those are some powerful words to have declared to someone from an open heaven. Amen? Like there's got to be something in there. And then we read right after that that at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, a.k.a. the desert. And the Spirit didn't suggest it, didn't say, hey... Jesus, what should we do now? No, we, we could go in the desert. Uh, we could go into Jerusalem. It, it wasn't an option. He didn't ask Jesus if he thought it was a good idea. It says he sent him into the wilderness or desert. And in this wilderness, he was there for 40 days. And when he was tempted or tested by Satan, the accuser, the arch enemy of God, he was tempted by him there. It's like, oh my gosh, all this is happening right here in these verses. The first 13 verses of the book of Mark. You guys, isn't this, isn't this amazing how much is just crammed in there? And I don't know about you, but I, I read one verse and I'm like, wait, what about, the, what, what, what about that? And I'm left just because of the brevity and intensity of it. I'm just left going, hold up. Can you tell me more about that? Can, can we go into that a little more? I know there's got to be something deeper there. I know there's something I need to take in that, but I, you're left wanting. And the great thing is we have these four gospels that come together with this cooperative unity to explain, explain more of a breadth of the life of Jesus. And we're going to take a deeper look at that today and see what's going on here and see what the Lord would have for us. But we just need to acknowledge like, oh my goodness, 13 verses in all of this has been initiated. But first, before we really dive in, let's pray. So God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you um, that we have the opportunity to have it on our mobile devices, on our computers, in print, in our hands, just for the accessibility of your word, God. Would you speak to us this morning through your word? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use me to communicate your heart to your people. Would these words be of you and not me? And would they come upon an open heart? An open mind. Would you give us all the ears to hear and receive what you have for us? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So let's look at this. Let's take a look at this, shall we? Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, just this first part here. It says, At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. There's so much happening there. And I want to encourage you, as we look into this today, this is in no way an exhaustive study of all the ways in which this uh, chunk of Scripture connects to the Old Testament or other places in the New Testament and the overall narrative of God's redemption story for His people. There's a specific thing that I believe God wants to speak to us today. But my prayer is that this will encourage you to get more into His Word because it just raises questions that your soul desires answers for and then that you would be able to help others follow in that same way. But that being said, we need to look at this baptism of Jesus and and see what does this tell us? What does Jesus' baptism declare? What does it show us? And the first thing is that it validated John's ministry by associating Jesus with it. You see, as we read last week, John was making room for the coming Messiah, for Jesus to enter the scene, preaching a baptism of repentance in water. And then Jesus goes and he gets baptized by John and then has this whole encounter with the open heavens, which we'll get to. But this is like a way of saying, yes, this this John guy, yeah, he's dressing in a garment of hair, leather belt, eating locusts and honey. He's living the simple life, wholly sold out for God's purpose and mission and calling on his life. But (laughs) he ain't wrong. Here he is. Here's the Messiah. John himself baptizes him. And then he comes out of the water and all of this stuff happens. It is validating the ministry of John as well as associating Jesus with all of the things that he was declaring. It's like saying, hey, here he is, that one I told you about, that son of man, that son of God, that guy, here he is, here he is, pay attention, pay attention. Also in this, it shows us that there is a a need, a deep need for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus comes up out of the water, it says that like a dove, the Spirit descended Upon him, and as we move forward, we see that the Spirit then began to lead him or send him. There is this essence of Jesus being spirit filled, spirit led, and spirit empowered that is initiated, as far as we see it, right here. And as he's inaugurated into his ministry, he sets an example for us of what it looks like to receive the Holy Spirit and then ultimately be obedient to it. Another thing that this baptism shows us is the endorsement by God of Jesus as his son. There's this moment of open heavens where humanity gets a glimpse into this rare space of the Trinity, in essence, interacting with one another. And this voice comes from heaven. And I want to read you something that the theologian and pastor N.T. Wright says about this language of the heavens opening as we read this in the book of Mark. He says, if we go back to the biblical roots, we will realize what this means. It doesn't mean that Jesus saw a little door ajar miles up in the sky. Heaven in the Bible often means God's dimension behind ordinary reality. It's more as though an invisible curtain right in front of us was suddenly pulled back so that instead of trees and flowers and buildings, or in Jesus' case, the river, the sandy desert, and the crowds, 
We are standing in the presence of a different reality all together. And throughout our lives, there may be these transcendent moments where the curtain is drawn back and we see or hear what's really going on. But most of the time, family, we are called to walk by faith, not by sight. Nevertheless, that is what is happening here. The crowds would have been getting a glimpse into this father-son moment where Jesus is confirmed in his identity and his ministry is inaugurated. An inauguration of the ministry of Jesus. Now, do you think the words from heaven that were spoken at Jesus' baptism were said because he was insecure? Do you think Jesus came into this moment saying, gosh, I really am not certain of who I'm called to be or what my direction in, in life is. And I could really just use some words of affirmation right now because I'm, I'm feeling pretty lowly and down and out and unsure of what my future is. Do you think that's, that's what this moment was? I, I, I don't think so. Now, I can identify with maybe needing some words of affirmation from time to time. You can ask my wife if you, if you need any more in-depth look at that. But I can identify with coming at these moments from that where, gosh, I just needed to hear that from God. I needed to know that he loved me, that he cared for me. But Jesus wasn't entering into this moment insecure, wondering about his destiny and purpose and calling. So these words were an endorsement of him to the crowds and to the people that would have been there watching and to all those who they would tell. All those he would tell. The crowds were witnessing a heavenly endorsement of Jesus from Yahweh. They were witnessing the anointing and appointing of the Messiah. The Messiah, the Son of God, was made apparent for all who were there and all who would hear of this moment. That's another thing that is important that happens in Jesus' baptism moment. And a final thing that it shows us, at least for this discussion, is it shows us the Trinity in operation, present in this space at the Jordan River, we have the Father speaking, this voice from heaven. We have the Son, Jesus Christ, and we have the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descending upon and filling Jesus and then sending him. So now everyone knows who Jesus is. Everyone knows who he is. And we get, we get this glimpse of the Trinity functioning in operation the secret is out. He no longer gets to go around as a carpenter or carpenter with ambiguity, um, operating just kind of undercover. It's, it's out there. People know the word is going to spread because for over 400 years, there's been silence and people have been desperately waiting for this. So now we have to ask ourselves, well, now what happens? Now what happens? And as we go forward in Mark, the last two verses of our chunk today, it says that once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended to him. Now, this is quite brief. And, but, but if you've been keeping up with us in our reading plan that we're doing as a church uh, this year, or if you've read through Matthew and Luke before, you will know that there is more to the story. There is much more to this story going on. And I love how the Gospels, especially in this, in this moment, are cooperating to give us a more full picture of what is happening. So check this out. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, to see what else might be happening in this temptation moment or this wilderness moment. 
It says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if, if you are the son of God, remember that, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's Deuteronomy 8.3, if you were wondering. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The enemy using Psalm 91 right at Jesus. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. It's in Deuteronomy 6, 16. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He said, all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. A reference to Deuteronomy 6.13. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. Now this helps us see that there is so much more, obviously, happening here. Jesus fasted for 40 days, and then he engaged Satan. He was tempted not once, but three times, and he was victorious. Now, there's a depth in these verses today that we don't have time to fully unpack. So please, receive this message, like I said earlier, not as some exhaustive unpacking of the scriptures. But I really pray as we dig in that this would compel you to, to dive in in your, own, in your own personal time. Because today, there is something very specific that I believe the Lord wants to prophetically speak through me to us. And it comes out of this temptation story here, out of this temptation narrative. See, Satan's not using any new tactics here with Jesus. We, what do we know as he enters into this temptation part? We know that Jesus was publicly affirmed as the Son of God, like the last verse right before the temptation, right? And then he goes into the wilderness or the desert to be tempted. He prepares for this battle, this engagement with Satan by emptying himself through fasting, which is counter to our fleshly way of preparing for any battle or testing, right? Like if you think of some of the most important tests or like things that are going to be physically demanding on your life, or for those of you that may be athletes, like a, a sporting event or, or competition, like you don't prepare by saying, I'm going to fast for 40 days and completely empty myself of any strength I might have in this moment. That's countercultural to how we in our flesh, in our humanity, would, would prepare for this. But Jesus says, I want to be fully emptied of everything that is of my flesh and humanity so that the Spirit of God and Yahweh can fully operate in me and through me in this moment. And what is, when he's at his physically weakest point, the Satan initiates his attack on Jesus through this tempting, this testing. And how does he do it? He starts with questioning who he is, his identity, his calling, his anointing. Now let's look back and, and see if this is a new trick. Genesis 3, 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And in a similar fashion, 
he comes at Jesus by questioning the very words of God. If you're the son of God, did God really say not to eat that? You see, this is not new material that the devil is using here. He's recycling the same things. And how does Jesus respond to this? He responds by quoting the word of God right back at him from Deuteronomy of all places. I don't know many people living in this world today that are going to enter into some spiritual battle or physical battle by using the book of Deuteronomy to quote uh, as, their, as their weapon. But, but this is amazing because the book of Deuteronomy is, is a summary of the testing of the Israelites in the wilderness. And here we have Jesus in this testing or tempting moment in the wilderness that he's going through on his own. And he's quoting scripture from when his people were in that same place. This is just amazing, you guys. It just makes so much sense when we unpack it and we see how God is operating. And then the Satan says, okay, I can play this game. And he questions his identity again. He can't even come up with a new tactic. But this time he questions his identity and then he uses scripture back at him, quoting Psalm 91 to Jesus. And Jesus' response is, yeah, well, I'm going I'm to see that. I'm going to raise your bet because it's also written. And then he spits some more Deuteronomy back at him. And finally, Satan tried to strike a deal, tried to make a compromise. He backed into a corner. He realizes Jesus isn't budging. He's got to figure something out. So he tries to make this compromise. He says, I'll give you all the stuff you came here for if you'll bow down and worship me. And how does Jesus respond? He says, away from me, Satan. Get away from me. And then you guessed it. He gives some more Deuteronomy. And then the devil left him and the angels attended to him. Now, this is not just some flippant testing of Jesus. This is, this is a battle of cosmic proportions where the anointed king engages the enemy and he initiates his plan to bring redemption and wholeness back into his creation. Like this is a big deal. This isn't just like, oh, Jesus was fasting in the wilderness and the enemy just tried to do something. No, 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 no. Like this is a huge deal. And we need to learn something from this because Jesus isn't the only one that we know about right now that's going through battles. Amen? Anybody on the other side of this camera having some battles going on right now? Anybody got some struggles? Anybody got their own enemies, devils that they're dealing with? And you just want to know, what do I do about this? Well, this has something to tell us about that. And I believe there's a few specific things that we need to learn from this in order to make room for the battles in our lives and to fight them well, whatever they may be. The first thing that we need to realize in this is that the enemy twists the truth. He's not trying to convince you of his truth, or he's not trying to propose some alternate agenda, saying, actually, I think this is a better way to go about life. He's just twisting what we already know is true into something that would actually bring chaos and disorder, destruction and disunity and distrust between God and his people. He's trying to tear things down. He's not just trying to give you another option. He's trying to tear things apart. He's twisting the truth. You see, Satan knows the plans of God, and he knows the word of God. He's not ignorant to all of these things. And if you also don't know it, you are lacking the necessary weapon to engage in the battles around you. 
The enemy twists the truth, which necessitates our knowledge for the truth. The enemy also, he'll compromise. He'll compromise. He will try to get you to think that you're engaging in a win-win situation. He'll be like, if you'll just concede a little bit here, I'll concede a little bit, and everything will be fine. That's just how things work. That's just how the world works. He'll offer you an easier way in order to stifle the fullness of God's plan on earth and in your life. He will offer you an easier way out, which in turn stifles and limits you from the fullness of what God, your creator, your heavenly father has for you. He tries to offer you an easier way, and that is not what God has for us. The other thing that happens here is the enemy will lead you to isolation for the battle. Many of you are isolated right now. Because we're at this stay-at-home order. There's even a, a legal restriction as to how many people you can be around. Community is legally restricted. And don't you think for a moment that the enemy would not use a period in time where there's unprecedented global isolation and lack of community and connection to launch a full-on attack on the people of God. Don't think for a second that that would be surprising. Quit making excuses about the convenience of the current season, allowing the enemy to isolate you. Twist the truth about your God, about your community, your relationships, and the status of your soul before your creator. Yeah, the circumstances aren't great right now, but there is plenty of opportunity and plenty of battles to be won along the way. And when we say, well, this isn't how I would prefer to do life or do community or have a life group or talk to my friends or my family, and we remove ourselves from it, we just take our steps right out into that wilderness, allowing the devil to twist the truth and tear us down and bring distrust and disunity into our lives. He will isolate you, pull you out of community in order to launch a full-on attack on what you know to be true and what unity looks like and trust looks like in your life. And if you can't recognize that, it makes you susceptible to his onslaught in your life. So you need to get in community. You need to fight isolation. You need to get in the word and you need to grab your weapon. Also, the same authority that Jesus used to tell Satan to leave we have through Jesus. We have that same authority. You don't just have to sit there and take it over and over again. Use the word, quote it back at him, get community so that you have brothers and sisters with you and you have the truth being proclaimed and declared all around you and you know that you can trust in the Lord and his strength and his people. And that will help. But there comes a time when you just got to say in the name of Jesus, get out of here and you got to tell Satan where to go. Because we have authority in Jesus. We see he got to a point where he's just like, enough. Enough. I'm not going to react to your attacks anymore. I'm sick of playing defense. It's time to step it up, play on offense, and just tell you where to go. And you too, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have re repented, turned from your old self, been baptized, coming into a new life, becoming a new creation, in him, walking in the fullness of what God has for you, you also have that authority to say, get out of here, Satan. You have no authority here. I'm not yours. I'm a son or a daughter of the Most High God. I know his truth, his character, what he says about me, who he is, and what his plans and purposes are for me and for his creation. Leave. You're wasting your voice on me. 
You're wasting your energy. Leave. <clears throat> There's a lie that the devil is telling people right now. People don't care about you. Telling you that doing life group online is just silly and you should just wait it out until we get to go back to meeting in person because this is inconvenient. And I just don't like looking at people through the screen. So out of your pride and the lies and twisting of truth from the enemy, you're just going to avoid it. You're going to be thinking, gosh, these circumstances are just horrible. I'm just going to wait it out until this gets done. I want it back to the way it was. People probably don't like me. That's why I haven't heard from them in the last three days. They didn't call me last week. I'm probably not valued. Does God even love me? If God was real, why would this be happening? That is all twisting of the truth. And it's a bunch of lies and bull that the enemy is trying to put into your ear to draw you out of community into isolation so he can get you on board with twisted truths and destruction in your life and in God's plans and purposes. The truth is being twisted, family. And now more than ever, you need to be in community. You need to get in the word and you need to stay in the word. And you need to tell Satan where to go. I want to encourage you as you read this, as you walk out this message and you engage in the battles that are happening in your life. Community, the word of God, knowing what truth is so it can't be twisted and exercising the authority that is given to you in Jesus are all things that you have to use in those battles. Make room for the battle by having community, God's word deeply rooted in you, and then fight it well with the authority of Jesus Christ. This is not a time in our lives and in the history of this country and this world to shrink back and fall prey and victim to the things that are going on. This is a time to step up, to step out, and move forward and advance the gospel in our lives and in the lives of others. And we can do not do that when we are isolated and we're believing mistruths from the enemy. I love you guys so much. I miss you. As much as I love Casey, who's on the other side of this camera right now, I would love to see some new faces when I'm sharing the word with you and preaching what God's put on my heart. These circumstances are not perfect. I will be the first to admit that. You guys know me. But regardless of my circumstances, the mission that we have has not changed. Some of the methods and tactics may have but community is still important. God's word is still important. Relationships are still important. And I urge you, please, hear this. Do not make excuses because of your circumstances of what it looks like to pursue God and pursue others in this time. We don't know how long this is going to last. But what a testimony for the people of God, for the bride of Christ, if even in crisis, pandemic, global pandemic mode, the church flourishes, the local churches grow, people coming to God in flocks, in waves, just people flooding community. What if that was our testimony as a community? What if that's your testimony as a disciple? I would hate for you to miss out on that because you have unfavorable circumstances right now. Let us pray. God, thank you so much for today. I thank you for your word. 
I thank you for the community that you give us. Father, I pray that you would bring conviction and truth into each one of our lives to the ways in which we've allowed our circumstances to dictate our obedience in this season. Father, would you help us to take steps forward every day in following you, pursuing others. And God, would your church, would your bride flourish in this season in the name of Jesus. We love you and we praise you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. I love you guys. I look forward to being back with you soon. But in the meantime, let's rise to our feet and worship God together through music.